Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. These programs are just one of several free services we provide to disseminate information about training for mountain sports. If you like what you hear and want more, please check out our website, uphillathlete.com, where you'll find many articles and our extensive video library on all aspects of training for and accomplishing a variety of mountain goals. You'll also find our forum where you can ask questions of our experts and the community at large. Our email is coach at uphillathlete.com, and we'd love to hear from you. We've been very pleased and, of course, gratified that our podcasts are being received so enthusiastically. We've had requests to enable a way for listeners to have a conversation about episodes. We certainly welcome this idea and want to encourage those of you who do want to do that to do so on our forum so that the whole Uphill Athlete community can join in and benefit from this exchange. To do so, please start a new thread on the forum using the title of the podcast under the most appropriate category. Thanks for being part of this community. Welcome back to the Uphill Athlete Podcast, everyone. My name is Steve House, and I'm your host once again, here with Sky Yardeni. Welcome, Sky. Hi, Steve. Good to be here. Good to see you. So this is a little bit of a special evening for me because we're going to wrap up our discussion around loss and trauma and grief in, in, uh, within our community, within the mountain community. And uh, our, our task today that I, that I set for us last time at the end there was to, to speak about healing is what I think I said, but actually healing is the wrong word. It's, it's, uh, it's not entirely, it's not, not entirely bad, but I think it's more about living with grief and integrating your life with this new reality of not having someone or some or multiple people that you, that you loved or cared about in your life anymore. And and also the, the process of, you know, and I think this is important for, because this is such a part of our community is it's important to understand that this does happen. And again and again, and in some ways it is a cumulative process of piling on more of this. And um, we need to talk about how to, how to live with it because it's not going to go away. So, you know, this is, we started these conversations back a few, I now a month ago, talking about why we're having this conversation, why you and I are sitting here talking about this. And as I just already alluded to, it is about our community undergoing regular loss of valued and respected and loved members and people. And, um, that is just part of the landscape of what we do as mountain athletes. Um, so that's why we're talking about it. So that's why, that's why this is an important conversation to us. And so, you know, what does this mean to you and me personally, Sky? Like what, what, what stake do we have in this? How would you think about that? Well, to me, I'll say that I've had, a lot of exposure to loss and death and trauma over my life. I don't know if more than average or less, but it, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's important to, to notice that exposure over the years in the mountains, not in the mountains. Um, and three and a half years ago, when I lost my best friend and climbing partner in a climbing accident, it hit me like nothing else hit me. And it had an impact on me that will forever change my life. And, and then really looking myself in the mirror and, and knowing and believing that as hard and as, and as shitty as these three and a half years have been without him. 
and the pain that I've experienced and um, yeah, just missing him and, and being sad. Also knowing that the conversation and the process around grief, loss, and trauma is rooted in resilience. And I really do believe that the cracks are how the light gets in. And so for me to, to have a relationship with this grief, with this loss, with this pain, you know, you and I, I think during the first recording talked about what it means to have a relationship with an emotion, have it to be in dialogue with an emotion. It's exactly that. Um, and, and how that this dialogue that I've been with grief, loss, pain, um, over the years has really enriched my life. You know, I would never invite it. I would never hope for it or ask it, ask for it. And it's here. It's, it's not something that I'm controlling. And so um, knowing that I have more access to different parts of life because grief and loss is an inherent part of life as humans, as people of the mountains, um, you know, you said like it's a landscape of our life. Absolutely. And, and knowing that I'm neither running from it or hiding it, I'm just in it and it's messy and it's dirty and it's hard and it's real. Um, and I really do believe that the more I talk about it, um, and engage in it, the more we as a community talk about it, engage in it and with it, um, I don't know, the more we can orient towards more health, more wholeness, um, and, and integrating all these different like fragmented parts of our lives into this one thing called life. So that's why it's really important to me to be having these conversations. Yeah, and I want to call out that I think one of the reasons that it's important is because while it is part of life, most of us in this community are exposed at a much earlier age than we would have otherwise been. Like this is this some of this stuff is stuff that happens to most people when they're in their fifties, sixties, and seventies who start going to funerals, not in their twenties. But um, let's let's circle back to the kind of grieving process, and one of the most important lessons I've learned um, from you is to remember that the grieving process is nonlinear, that it, that it happens in its own way, that it, that it happens on its own pace and its own order. And, and that's sort of counter to the uh, belief I, I had um, when I first started encountering this. And so that was something that made it difficult for me was to get, have, be so surprised by it. How does that look like for other for other people? So I, I think or I believe that one of the harder things um, with grief and loss is the lack of control. Yeah. Um, that A, for the most part, whatever happened is outside of the scope of control. Um, and then after whatever happened, whatever incident, tragedy happened, uh, the the impact of the loss or the trauma is also outside of the control. And it's important to understand what is within the scope of control and what is outside of the scope of control. And a lot of times, a lot of folks want to wrap up, um, wrap up in a nice little tidy bow, you know, of like, okay, I'll take a week, I'll take two weeks, um, and I'll do whatever I need to do and then put it behind me and move forward. And it doesn't really look like, it doesn't work like that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it's, sure. it's very unpredictable. Um, and like I said before, it's dirty and it's messy and it's supposed to be that way. And, and in that, there's not a lot of control. And so the nonlinear part what you were asking is it is so unique um, and individual and by it I mean the 
grieving process. Um, you know, you and I use the analogy of a fingerprint. Uh, it really is unique to every person. Every person has different needs, has different pace, has different support systems and resources and experience with lost and grief, different levels of resilience. You know, people's tarn, tarns look very different. And so all that are contributing factors of how the grieving process looks like. And, you know, you and I also talked about the stages of grief and how that can also be seen as linear. But it's important to, to, to remind ourselves that whatever frameworks that we're using, they're not prescriptive. It's not trying to put folks in boxes. It's trying to describe what folks might be experiencing and to put it in some kind of context, uh, um, try to understand, not control, but understand what is going, what I'm going through, understand that there's regression, you know, two steps forward, one step back, one step forward, two steps back. And it just looks very unique to different people. Um, and so it's so, so just so important to highlight the fact that it's not linear um, and it's just very different for different people. So we're not in control. It's really uncomfortable. But how can one be intentional about going through this and proactive about going through this in a, in a healthy way without being controlled? Where's the, where's the balance? It seems, seems at odds, these two concepts. The traditional really yeah. Grief is right, like uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, finding meaning, right? Those are the classic six stages. And I was taught those, and I don't remember them, but I would look, go look them up, and I always assumed that it was a linear thing. And one of the things you're, you taught me is it's, it's not, which is, like, which is great to know. But how do you be intentional about these, these things not knowing what's happening next? I think the intentionality and, you know, we talk about um, understanding what is within the scope of my control um, of how I can respond to a situation, um, what power I have, what resources are available to me, mm -hmm. um, you know, what agency I can take, how I can be proactive about things. And so that's what I'm, that's a control uh, or the intentionality that folks can really exercise in their grieving process. Not whatever is going to happen to them, whatever emotions is going to come knocking on the door. That's, you know, that is outside the scope of the control. What is within is um, what do I do when they come walking in my door? Um, how I utilize the different resources, uh, oh, sorry, the support systems that I have. Uh, the rituals, grief rituals are something that can be really important for folks to, to mark and to symbolize, to allow for transition and moving forward, um, to allow slowing down and meaning or reflection. And there's just so many different practices that folks can really engage in to, um, to do that. So, so I'm hearing... that the way you can be proactive is to let go of the reins, so to speak, let go of the reins around grief, which is completely counterintuitive. But I just want to make sure that that's, it seems really hard to, you know, are you, you have to um, ac accept your lack of control. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Accept the lack of control and then see how I choose to move forward. And so you are talking about rituals, practices. We talked about the, the Tarn analogy uh, a couple of episodes ago. We talked about a support network, sort of self-care, for lack of a, a better term, self-soothing, positive practices. Let's talk about that. What is that? And, and I think for me, this is, this is complicated. We touched on this in an earlier discussion because often what is most soothing for me personally is just simply being in the mountains again, but it's difficult to be in the mountains again when that's, if not exactly, at least the general scene of the tragedy I've recently experienced. 
Talk to me about that a little bit. That seems also like there's a lot of conundrums wrapped up here. So, um, and there's much more to say uh, around, you know, rituals and and of course you know, self care yeah. and things like that. But to your question, um, you know, folks want to feel good. Folks want to, um, you know, do whatever they can to be able to feel okay. Um, and as climbers, that's something that we're wired to, you know, that that's one of the reasons that we go out to feel good, to have fun, to feel freedom. You know, you and I talked about why we do the things we do several episodes ago. And, um, and so that, that can have a strong connection of like, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that I do to feel good. Mm -hmm. And when someone is going through um, or after an adverse, uh, an experience of adversity, of a hardship, that's their go-to or the, it can be their go-to. And why you and I specifically are having the conversation in the context of climbing is that it can be twofold. The mountains can be the source of the adversity you know, the, the tragedy, the loss, the trauma, the event itself can happen while climbing or in the mountains. Um, and it can also be the, the place that supports us the most. And that can be complicated because like, like you said, we're going back to the scene of the tragedy. So that, that can bring up a lot of things as well. Um, and it's important to separate um, and understand the the context in which the event happened you know both the relationship to the person who was lost or injured and also the circumstances um, that led up or that contributed to the event itself and, and try to unpack the trauma around it and then you know you and i talked about uncoupling the grief and the trauma and and Another step to that is when we go back to the mountains to get our support, to get our nourishment, that soothing that you were talking about. How can we do that in a way that um, hopefully will not trigger us and, um, and just add another layer of confusion, of pain, because we go back to that same pain that, um, that the mountains caused us in the first place. And so that can be tricky. And it's just important to acknowledge I think it's super important to talk to our climbing partners about these things before we go to the mountains, understand that there is um, potential for these things to happen. And if and when they do happen, they need to be aware and need to you know, show up in support because you know, that, that can um, create a whole other like snowball effect that we don't want to happen. Um, I'm, you know, you have to feel safe to heal, correct? It's important to feel some sort of safety, yes, that, that um, I'm not under threat. That you're not under threat. So you can't process or you don't process a trauma well when you feel you're under threat. So you're finding a place of, of safety. I mean, feeling good is maybe the opposite of being under threat. So that makes sense. Um, what other ways does that manifest or where, do, where does that even come from? I guess, it, I guess it's just, it, it makes sense, but it also, I wonder what, what the root of that is. is there, what exactly? Is there what the root of this, this human need for, for safety and comfort? Is it, it's like, is it, is it really related to our development um, as, as children? As a father, of course, I immediately think of my young children. Mm -hmm. um, is, it, is it tied to that? Is it something with like, is it the mother holding the child an analogy and the, the secure attachment, insecure attachment that psychotherapists talk and write about? Is, is, this, is this the root of what we're discussing? I think it's actually more connected to the nervous system. Okay. And um, when a person is 
under threat, their surface, their nervous system is um, is activated. Right. There's an activation of the nervous system. Um, they're overwhelmed, and so they're easily they're easily um, like pulled into a flight, fight, or freeze response. So that's what happens when humans and animals are under threat, and so that's when um, not a lot of healing can really happen if if um, there is activation of the nervous system. And so in an environment of, of safety, of calm, of, um, of nourishment, that's when, that, that's an environment that, that is more conducive to, to unpacking different things to start processing. Um, and then from that place of safety, from that place of, um, of calm, of emotional regulation, I can go back and maybe take a risk, step out of that comfort zone and go back into the world and, and see what are the immediate threats, what are not, um, how do I engage and navigate these other situations that are difficult and then come back to that cocoon, you know, regroup, collect myself, create that safety and then go back. And it's like a touch and go uh-huh. hydrating situation. And, and, and it, it's really important also in the mountains to understand when I'm hitting my edge, when I need to come back to that um, place of safety and collect myself and come back to that um, protection. And then once I'm, I, I feel resource enough, I can then again, go back. And it's those moments when folks kind of try to push beyond their edge and that's where damage can happen. That's where um, even more scarring and more trauma can occur because when there's not enough resourcing, not enough grounding, not enough um, awareness of what is going on inside, that's when we're more vulnerable for shit to hit the fan, for our decision-making processes to not be um, very good and sharp. And also we're more prone to, um, to more trauma. Mm-hmm. People navigate that very differently from individual to individual, don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I really do believe that through conversations, both like in community and partnerships and in the mountains and also in professional settings um, can be really important, can be really, really helpful. Do you have any words of guidance around that idea of, uh, you know, where they identifying the edge for somebody who might be um, strong. Uh, let's see, how do I say this? Someone who, who might be unfamiliar with what that may look like or feel like sure. um, so they, they can recognize. Well, I'll start with a story. Okay. I'll start with a story. Yeah. I'll start with a story and then go from there. So a few years back, I was um, climbing with a good friend of mine, in Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, and my buddy of mine, I don't know, it was like five, six, seven pitches in, he was following, so he was under me, and he didn't notice, and he dropped a huge boulder. And this was on Spearhead, and so this was in like that cirque, and so it it was very dramatic. It, it went tumbling down. It destroyed everything in its path. There was a lot of debris uh, both rock and then ice, and you can hear it echoing from all the different walls. And I was kind of shaken up, but I only really realized it two pitches after. I realized that I was stuck in that, like that that um, caused some kind of trauma response for myself because my best friend died in a rock fall or maybe that was one of the reasons. And it only really registered maybe an hour later, like 
two pitches after that. You know, he came to me, we debriefed it. He told me what happened. I was like, okay, shit happens. So grateful that I was above him and he wasn't hurt and we can move on. And then at an anchor, two pitches up, I I came to him and I said, Hey, I'm still I'm like, I'm still there. I'm still like two pitches back in that whole rock fall situation. And and can we just sit, slow down and talk about it? Because what I realized that I was just completely in my head. I wasn't in Rocky Mountain National Park. I wasn't in the mountains. I like I was scared. I was over gripping. Um, my head was just in a completely different space. I was dissociating, and um, my breathing was off. I was over gripping. Like all the all the signs and the indicators of like, okay, something's wrong. And and what do I do now? And so that's when we switched from being there for the rock climb to just be there for each other. We actually sat down like 15, 20 minutes and we just, and we just talked, you know, like we put the climb aside and said, hey, maybe, and yeah, you know, we're in the alpine and time's ticking. We don't want to get to the summit after one, all that stuff. And um, he he recognized that, you know, something needs to happen and it's not rock climbing right now. And so we just sat, we talked a bit. Um, it kind of transferred from debriefing the accident to actually processing and and sharing what was going on inside me, what was going on inside him, and like um, creating a moment of connection. And that slowly brought me back to the moment, to that place, that time, being there with him, um, on in the, you know on the face. And, and that connection and then that hug was exactly what I needed to come back to understand, okay, that happened, we're here, I'm still psyched, and I'm still afraid, um, let's move forward. And so that's something that was really helpful, like the sequence of events of whatever event or trigger happened and then it registered to me. I saw the, all the flags and recognized all the indicators of my own trauma responses. I shared it with him. I know myself well enough to, to understand what I need in those moments of distress. Ask for it, do it, and then hopefully I'm, I'm back in a place of safety, of protection, of emotional regulation that I can go back out and take a risk and engage in whatever, you know, quote unquote threats or hardships that are out in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's a, it's a beautiful story for illustrating and a good answer to my question. I'm sure that'll help people. They'll remember your story better than, than any, um, sort of textbook style answer um, because that not, or at least I certainly will. That's, that's great. So there's this, there's this thing that people like to say, you know, time heals all wounds and you can brush things under the carpet, but this is not what I'm, what I'm hearing you recommend. I'm hearing um, a proactive letting go of the reins, a, react, a proactive reminder to ourselves as we're going through this, that we are not in control, that, that grief is kind of its own monster and it's going to rear its own ugly head when it decides to, in whatever order of emotions and experiences that is, and that's going to happen. So this seems to me like the perfect place where a person might and I know I've certainly benefited from having a guide and uh, specifically a, a psychotherapist. So I want to, uh, we talked about this before, but I want to mention again that there is the, you are the therapy director for the Climbing Grief Fund and people can find the Climbing Grief Fund where and what is what is there when they get there. So first, before we go into details, um, the analogy or the imagery that I use around um, 
around grief is like this. Grief can be, you know, whatever weight, ball, um, object that is in me. And that's inside a container. And that container is, you know, whatever size. And that container is my tarn, is my resilience, is um, my ability to, you know, to withhold or to, to hold whatever grief, whatever pain I'm experiencing. And what I, what happens in time is both, hopefully that weight or that ball shrinks. And also what I can do is expand my capacity, expand the boundaries of my container. And being proactive and exercising agency is again, not being in control, but understanding where I have choice. And those are two really different things. Mm. Um, there's always choice. It doesn't mean that I'm in control though. And so choosing to engage in whatever practices I can to expand my, um, my container mm-hmm. is, exa- is exactly what I'm talking about. One, one resource or support system can be the Climbing Grief Fund. Another is a therapist. And, and there's just endless, um, you know, endless levels or, or examples of resources and support systems that folks have. Um, but that, that's an, ultimately what we're talking about is encouraging folks to, um, you know, to be in the driver's seat, to do whatever they can do, again, within their scope of control, um, to expand that container. And so one of them, like we said, is the Climbing Grief Fund of the American Alpine Club. And one of the privileges of my life is to be really involved in that program. And <clears throat> we mentioned last time of, you know, some of the different projects and offerings that we have under the, of the under the Climbing Grief Fund to support individuals and our community, both pragmatically of like um, grants and workshops and um, and a directory of different therapists and mental health providers or professionals, and also um, a chance to have these conversations on many different levels in the Climbing Grief Fund. And so there we have um, a monthly webinar that I do with different leaders and professionals in our community to unpack different issues and, and topics around grief and trauma in, in climbing. There's a story archive project, which is an inter, like ongoing interviewing project where um, we interview folks for them to share their stories and experiences of, around grief and loss. And we put them out and they're free on the website. And that allows A, for folks to bring some meaning into their own story because as soon as my story is witnessed it matters it matters more and so um the more we can allow that platform and that exchange between folks in the community who share their stories and folks in the community who listen and and resonate with these stories that just creates a more resilience on a community level more resonance more um of a feeling that we're not alone you know one of the main things in grief is i'm the only one who is experiencing this and the, the sense of loneliness the sense of isolation and the more folks who are having these conversations both like in, you know, behind closed doors and just like in a private setting and also out loud um, and sharing their stories in whatever format feels good to them. Um, the more we as a community can, can just engage with it differently. 
and, and, and orient towards healing together. Which really comes back to the, you know, the purpose of talking about this as we started off. Um, mm-hmm. There's, I don't want to wrap up yet because I've got a couple of things. I didn't mean that almost sounded like a segue to end, but it's not. I wanted to go back and bring us back into some of the uniqueness around this uh, process. Mm-hmm. One of the things that you know I've written about this even in my in my books and uh, in my journal extensively. This idea about you know how how important it is how a person passes how a person dies um, how significant is that um, how is it different um, do you have any uh, you have that you you've seen a lot of um, these different situations from from war to suicide to to pure accidental uh, you know death that was completely sort of inexplicable. Um, what do, how do you, how do you think about that? What framework do you have to share? Um, putting you on the spot here. Yeah. And good. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> um, so you're asking about why it's important. Like the reason, not the reason. How the person died, why is that important? Yeah. So it's important on on two levels. One, the pretty narrow context of um, of the accident itself. You know, you and I we talk we talked several times now about uncoupling between the grief and the trauma. Understand what my relationship with this person is and what that um, the loss or the rupture in that relationship has caused and how it's impacted me and the nature of the accident or the mechanic, you know, like how in the medical world, like the, uh, what is it called? Mexit mechanism of injury. Yeah. MOI, I yeah, think. Yeah. Um, what is a mech, what is a mech, what is a mechanism? Um, what happened? What are the contributing factors? What, um, yeah. What, what are just the different elements that led up, to the actual accident itself and what actually happened. And so that is the trauma piece and the event itself. And to understand how those two, again, both the the loss and the relationship and the event, how they're impacting me, um, to try to separate them and acknowledge each of them separately and and to tend to them separately. And to understand how each of them are impacting what are the impacts of both that loss and that event is impacting me? And then kind of widen the perspective of, of understanding and reminding myself, oh, I've actually um, maybe been here before, not necessarily in the same loss or the same traumatic event, but I've been in a place of, of adversity, of um, trauma, and this is happening within a context. And it's an accumulative process of all the different events that I've been um, a part of in my whole life and how this fits in into that wider context. And, you know, you and I talked about the Laura McLeodry's framework around stress injury and the stress injury continuum, where it's saying that each event does not happen in a vacuum. It happens in a context where it's just, it's a compounding or a cumulative process that it's compounding. And um, and that also has, it, it adds another layer of how it is impacting me, um, both on the resilient side and the tools that I've collected in my past because I've had all these exposures and all the scars and the trauma that I've collected as well because I have had exposure to all these things. Um, so again, it answers twofold, one more narrow and, and concentrating on the event at hand and unpacking that, and then also expanding the um, the perspective and and seeing it within a context. Which also all of those 
thoughts go a long ways towards explaining why the process is so unique between individuals. Absolutely. We all have our own scars and our <laughs> own experiences. Um, and I think that's why it feels so isolating when you're experiencing it, why you feel like you can be so alone because yeah. nobody could have had this series of <laughs> injury or whatever we want to call it uh, the same way I could have. And while that's true, it's also, it's also not right. Like, I mean, there's, there's many ways to, there's many ways to hurt and, uh, you know, we all get there in, in different ways and it's part of the human experience. And, uh, I think one of the things that I have difficulty talking to people who do not go into the mountains about is, you know, when, when I get that, I've done a lot of public speaking and a lot of public speaking to, to groups that are not climbers. And so with those groups in particular, they're often just like, why would you, they just don't get it. Why would you do that? Why that just looks hard and miserable and so on and so forth. But, you know, we do feel, uh, more there, all the motion, all the emotions are more intense when you live your life in this way. And, and spend it in the, in the mountains, in the, I mean, not in the broadest possible sense. And, um, and this is, this is part of the territory. Uh, the the highs are high and the lows are low. And, uh, I think one of the things that we want to emphasize here is that, you know, you've gone through this, I've gone through this, countless others have gone through this and are going through it. It's not over. We're carrying our loss, every day and hopefully some people will be listening to us some time in the future and this will help them realize that they're not alone that while their circumstances are unique their their experience in and of itself their grief their their sadness their loneliness their sense of being sort of abandoned uh, by by the world or the universe. I mean, those are those feelings are not unique. Uh, that's something that I think we've all all felt, and it can be a pretty unpleasant experience. But absolutely, yeah. Like you said, that in the mountains, the high are high, and the lows are lows, and it's a package deal. That is. Like, I don't believe that um, like true adventure is just one way, and. Um, and also, like the whole, the fullness and richness of life is not only like one shade of color; it's all all of the different colors. And um, to be able to both accept that it's a package deal and engage in all these different colors, like I wanted to circle back to two things that you said: is one, like the support systems and how do I utilize it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you said about having a guide. Um, having a therapist, community, friendships, family, you know, different relationships and how, how those can be really helpful to, uh, to process all these things and to incorporate and integrate all the different colors into this whole rainbow of life. And also another point that you said is that it's not time. It's not only time that heals. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it's a saying for a reason that time heals. And um, it's also the work that we put in. And it's a combination of both. And you can't have one way that without the other. It's not only the work because that's us trying to control the situation. If we're only trying to like find the shortcuts and bring in, um that like the hack bulldozer mindset of like okay yeah i'm just gonna do all the things in the list and i'm just gonna go full full speed ahead and try to do this thing and so so no like yes that 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 is an option and um i can pretty guarantee that that's um that can lead to i don't know to trying to just find shortcuts and then um, taking a seat back and just hoping that time will do, uh, take its course um, 
also it's not only it's not the only way you know like even our bodies i break a bone it's not just like i can sit back and hope that everything is going to be okay like there's needs to be intervention and time that heals and the combination of both is to, it what allows for these wounds both like in our bodies and also in our hearts and our souls to start really mending and the the work is is that agency is that choice that we keep coming back to is the different practices that we can um engage in the different agency that we can exercise um how we can be proactive and lean in and also recognize the time aspect that there are no shortcuts this is not linear and we have to be patient and understand that there will be setbacks and um can't put a a deadline for healing and so just wanted to like shed or uplift those two notions yeah and for me i've got to say my personal experience is there there's no i i never feel less in some ways like i you know the people that meant a lot to me that i lost i still feel their loss i still think about them i mean you I mean, it was some cases many decades behind me, but in time, but, uh, you know, it's still present with me every day. And I sort of take that as a reflection of, of something that you said really beautifully the other day when we were prepping for this call, you said that grief is another expression of love. Yeah. And I really like that. That really resonated with me and explained why some of these people that I don't have in my life anymore, I think about so often, or I, or I remember and feel so often, even though they're, you know, decades gone. The pain you're experiencing yeah. when you lose someone is, is a reflection of, of that love or, uh, is happening because you love them so much. Yeah. And they're sort of inversely proportional. And it's easy to lose sight of that. It's easy to get like caught up or even stuck in the pain and the suffering and the anger and the depression and the stuckness and all those different patterns and being overwhelmed or my... Um, nervous system being activated in this way or another. And I really truly believe, truly believe that if folks can remind themselves that like being vulnerable, you know, is not only, you know, in, in the Brene Brown sense of like, the power of vulnerability or vulnerability coming from a place of strength. And, you know, you and I talked about in the context of, of being in combat and, and war and how, um, like, the shield or the armor yeah. like, that it, they can, or the callus that can be important to protect from penetration in some contexts is important. In other contexts, it, it may be less important. And so removing that shield that armor opens us up to being hurt is to being vulnerable and so being vulnerable is not only to you know share our soul and all our deepest secrets and loving someone and and having a intimate relationship with whomever family, friends, romantic partners, with whomever, with a climbing um, partner in community, that exposes us to being hurt. You know, you and I, even before this recording, we were talking about when folks break our trust and, and, and how that can hurt me when someone broke my trust. And, and why did that hurt me? Because I was vulnerable enough to trust that person, person in the first place. And so when, when we have lost our loved ones, and we're hurting it again it can be easy to get caught up and stuck in the pain and then the suffering of that loss and if we can remind ourselves that 
we are experiencing this pain and the suffering because we love them in the first place, because we opened up and um, allowed ourselves to be vulnerable enough that their loss hurt me enough to feel the way that I am. Um, it is bringing in that highest high, highest high, and that lowest low. It is, it is um, bringing in that richness of life that this is two sides of the same coin yeah. that we're talking about. Yeah, the other the other side of darkness is light, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and they come together. They complete each other. Say that again a little louder, please. I said, and they complete each other. They complete each other. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for those of you that have stuck with us through all, however many, what is this? Did we do three or three? Three, three. conversations. I, I hope this, uh, as, as I'm sure, our intention was that this will help people. Uh, because this is an aspect of our lives as, as climbers and skiers and uh, mountaineers and so forth that, that is not going away. And now is the time to build a support network, build the resilience, fill up the tarn, take care of yourself, all of those those things we've talked about to to be as ready as you can when it does happen, because unfortunately it doesn't just go away. It doesn't just stop happening as much as we'd like it to. Do you have any last words you want to leave anyone with, leave us with, Scott? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Just wanted to end where we started, that this is a human experience. This is a part of life. Um, and we're in this together. We cannot do this alone. And that's where community comes in. And so grateful to you for being in community with me, Steve, and like continuing this conversation as a community on, on a community level, um, you know, as we orient towards evolving and developing and challenging ourselves to do better, to be better, um, to take the risk not only in the mountains, but also in our conversations. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about what we do, please go to our website, uphillathlete.com. I just really wanted to thank you for this opportunity. Thank you, Sky, for your openness and cooperation and and really the the inspiration for for bringing bringing this conversation out out of me. I couldn't have done it without you by any means. So thank you for that. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will see you again here sometime in the future. Thank you.